Good morning. My name is Martise Harper. Isn't it thought-provoking that oftentimes we tend to camouflage our best selves or even hide the best us? I know because I am guilty of doing the very same thing. But here at St. Peter United, you don't have to hide any longer. You can let your best self come forth and then God get the glory. So come and join us as we lift up praises to our God. Good morning, family. It is so good to be back at SPU. And I really, really am glad. Because it's not everywhere that I can fully and loudly rep all of who I am, black and queer and so much more, much less from the pulpit. Which is why Marcus rightfully teased me for missing Juneteenth Sunday and almost missing Pride Sunday. So I'm very glad Pastor Leslie allowed me to come before you this Independence Day weekend. I feel like I get a bit of a redo to praise the God who sees me and walks with me in all of who I am. But before I get ahead of myself, please join me for a word of prayer. Great God of history, I cry out to you with the cries of your people. Jesus, the living word, we beg you for good news. Wise Spirit, speak through me a word that will transform and restore us. We ask you to open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the message you have for us. We are listening. Amen. Even though we're just now approaching July 4th, I love that we start celebrating stories of liberation even before Independence Day. A certain energy takes over during Juneteenth and Pride Month as we mark the milestones of the Emancipation Proclamation and the Stonewall Uprising. Although chronologically, we know the history to get here wasn't that glossy smooth. Nevertheless, in the afterglow of later generations, we tell a story of the increasing progress we've made as a nation. We've restored freedom to formerly enslaved folks and dignity to LGBTQIA, and praise God, the list keeps growing. The rosy snapshot of our history told through holidays wants to be told to a steady drumbeat of progress, 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 crescendoing into the nation's high holy Independence Day. Told in this sequence, from emancipation, uprising, and independence, the lesson of history becomes less about events and focuses more on the values and ideas behind them. In other words, the lesson of July 4th memorializes the signing of the Declaration of Independence less as a list of specific political grievances and more a revolutionary shift in how we define ourselves as a nation. Forgive me, for the mini civics lesson, but let's remember that before we were citizens, we were considered subjects, British subjects, or slaves, or so-called savages, subject to the random chance of what I call Lion King logic. You know, when Mufasa says, surveying the ground, he hasn't worked a day in his life, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Watch that clip again, and you'll see that our and we is limited to just two somebodies sitting on the throne at Pride Rock. Because under Lion King logic, if you ain't king, you ain't nobody. The Declaration of Independence dared to challenge the idea that we are little more than subjects to someone else's power, 
that there is only one somebody and the rest of us are nobodies. Instead, since July 4, 1776, U.S. citizens, a term that is not without controversy or contention, have declared and defined themselves self-evidently, that is obviously, that all of us are created equal and endowed by that same creator with unalienable, intrinsic, can't be taken away, rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. President Lyndon B. Johnson called this our nation's promise. It is the revolutionary promise that we can come together on the strength of our ideals, that we are a nation of all, and that all have the ability to contribute meaningfully to our collective story. The problem is that we reasonably doubt the nation's promise. You don't even have to bother with correcting the naive revisionist history I just told. You and I can plainly sense that what was written down is a whole lot different from what's going down around us. What about the promise that my life will be safe and secure? What about the promise that my rights will be protected and I will have the freedom to forge my own path? What about the promise that I can, what I hope for can be made possible? What about the promise that I am part of we the people? Instead, going about our day-to-day lives doesn't feel safe. Our ability to live authentically and make our own decisions are under attack, and we spend more and more time trying to scrape together a living that we have little other choice than to try to buy happiness off the shelf. If anything, it is more self-evident that to live in America for many of us is to be distressed, discouraged, and disempowered. I'll speak for myself. I actually started questioning, should I just pack it up and leave? After all, I'm only here because my forefathers and foremothers were stolen and dragged here, right? After all, this promise wasn't even meant for people like me, right? The way I get treated like an add-on tacked onto the end of the Bill of Rights, the last one in, the first to be let go, an afterthought in someone else's story. Can I be honest with you? I wasn't just worrying about being part of the nation. I felt like a side character in a bunch of other people's stories as well. I noticed that my deconstruction and reconstruction journey had brought me to a point that my faith sounded different from my family's. And because it was different, I felt that I wasn't being taken seriously on one hand where I had to constantly defend myself on the other. I was mourning the certainty I once had, the easy answers I had been taught that seemed to work for everybody else but me. On top of that, the folks who want to claim the label Christian the loudest and want a monopoly on it are so far over there that I don't even recognize any benefit to calling myself a Christian. Whatever grouping of people I tried to identify with, nation, state, work, family, it felt like I was constantly on the outside. I'm asking myself, when does my storyline start? As I've meditated on where to pick up the storyline, I stumbled upon a story that is even older than our nation's. It is a story that gave me hope and which I've come to share with you this morning. I bring you the word of God as written in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And it reads, Come to Jesus, a living stone, although rejected by humanity, yet chosen and precious to God. 
and are yourselves like living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a a royal holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The scripture contains the following. See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen, precious, and whoever believes in that stone will not be put to shame. To you all who believe then, a precious honor. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. They stumble over the word disobeying, disobedient by design. Yet you all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of God who called you out of the shadow into God's marvelous light. Once not a people, but now God's people. Once bereft of mercy, but now rich in mercy. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. I am so grateful because this lesson from Peter is addressed to people just like us. Peter wrote this letter to a group of people who also felt like they were on the sidelines of history. Peter wrote to a group that kept finding themselves as the small minority in larger nations. These were the folks who had been pushed to the margins of society, kicked out of their churches, and having to meet wherever they could find a safe spot, sometimes in their houses or sometimes literally outside the city walls, all because they were different. They lived their lives differently from the people around them, from their values, their gender roles, their eating habits, their behaviors, their work habits, their home economics, their social relationships. It seemed like whatever spaces they moved in, everything about them was countercultural to the society around them. And because of this, they constantly faced rejection. The people who received Peter's messages were people in doubt. For the Jewish people who received his letter, they thought that this salvation stuff was going to restore them to the promise once made to their ancestor, Abraham, that they would rule themselves again instead of being an imperial colony. Like those early believers thirsting for freedom, Peter's same message applies for all of us today who feel that we have been written out of the promises that other folks get to enjoy. The message I've received and joyfully passed on to you today, beloved, is that you have a right to the promise, you have a role in the promise, and you have a reason to believe in the promise. A right, a role, and a reason. Peter tells us that we have a right to participate in the promise. This one truly is an unalienable right, that is to say, a right that can't be revoked or rejected by someone else. Don't get me wrong, your right is not that you're going to be rejected. You are not tested through your rejection because it's actually society's sin to bear. Just know that the same thing the majority wants to hold against you is the very thing that sets you apart, the very thing for which you have been marginalized, that you have been set aside and looked over because of, represents the emergence of something new. If you know where the margin on the page is, You may also know that the word marginal means on the edge. Now, usually when we talk about marginality, we mean pushed to the edge or pushed to the outskirts, as in the sense of oppressed or marginalized. 
But let me also remind you that when the Elon Musks and Jeff Bezoses of the world talk about innovation, they talk about the cutting edge. Or when we talk about self-improvement, we talk about our growing edges. The edge, it seems, can really be where it's at, where newness comes from. The Vogue and ballroom legends know all about getting pushed to the edge only to sharpen themselves into the cutting edge of music, dance, and fashion. They have gone from scrounging for warehouse and basement space to whole balls to inspiring iconic music videos, hosting celebrities on the HBO main stage, and Beyonce coming for that technique on international tour, honey. All those same warehouses that were once a last-ditch necessity have now become tourist de destinations for culture vultures. People can try to reject you, but the irony is that their rejection only highlights the good company you keep. It's a sad fact of life that even Jesus couldn't avoid rejection. But despite that, your right comes from being made in the image of the Son and claimed as the beloved child of the Father. Your right is a birthright. There's nothing you need to do to earn it. The fact is you take after your divine older brother, Jesus Christ, just as chosen and precious in God's sight. Three times, Peter says, you are chosen. Twice, he says, precious, because you wouldn't have received it the first time. Claimed by God's self as God's own possession, don't you ever forget who you are. Because you have a role, you are a member of a holy priesthood, you have an offering to make. Don't tense up just yet. I'm not preaching about tithing this morning. Your offering is yourself. It is to make sure that the story that God has placed within you gets told. Your story needs to be told because the margins, again, are the growing edge for the nation to live into its yet unfulfilled promise. Perhaps you don't feel included in the promise yet because it's your role to bring the rest of us into this new space where God is working. You don't need to invent something new, though. You just need to speak up and let us know that you're here, that you've been here, and you'll always be here. To once again quote that celebrated hymnist Beyonce Knowles, I lived, I loved, I was here, I did, I've done everything that I wanted, and it was more than I thought it would be. I will leave my mark so everyone will know I was here. Don't let the magnitude of your role overwhelm you. You have the example of your ancestors, of the activists, artists, and everyday people who went before you. Like a house of stone is built layer upon layer, stone upon stone, we too are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. That's why we fight to tell our collective stories, because the 1619 Project isn't inventing new history. Mexican-American history doesn't start with border crossings. Acknowledging indigenous presence on the land isn't about a long-ago past, but rather a present-day, ongoing state of affairs. And queer stories aren't a new cultural fad. Get used to it. It is our role to retell and continue to write our stories because they remind us what all the people looks like. Therefore, your own offering needs to be complete, a whole story with a beginning, middle, all the way to the end that God has in store for you. And don't leave out ne'er detail. What makes you different isn't a bug, it's a central feature. 
After all, you are called not only to tell what God has done for you, but to broadcast what God has put in you. You have work to do, and you are the only one who has been specifically equipped to do it. You're part of the priesthood, and I'm going to call it what it is. You've actually been divinely ordained to do what God has brought you here to do. Because proclaiming the mighty works of God isn't something you only do with your mouth. You proclaim God with your actions and your attitudes. When you co-create with God, you proclaim the creator through your creativity. But when you make yourself small and fit someone else's ignorant, hateful opinion of you, you proclaim an intolerant God through your shame. Don't let despair have you out here proclaiming a defeated God. You better proclaim God with your whole chest, with your shoulders back and your head held high. You better proclaim the mighty God who blesses you in marvelous light. That's the power of the priesthood. In your, t- in your tongue is the power of life and death. You have a reason. Your faith is the firm foundation you can confidently stand on. That might be confusing for the logical or objectively minded. And I'll even admit that what I'm saying isn't 100% rational, but spiritual. Honestly, though, we should lean into the mystery of faith a little more often. Not everything has to be litigated and picked apart. Some things are simply fundamental. Think of it this way. Maybe that faith is the fundamental particle of your spiritual life. Now, how's that for scientific? Your faith needs to be the bedrock, and that's between you and God. Nobody else can get involved. I can only preach at you so much, I actually can't do the work for you. But, I assure you, a strong faith is enough to break the attacks that come against you. Your strong faith will actually cause other people to get bent out of shape when they bump up against it. Again, that's just spiritual physics. As you go along on your deconstruction, reconstruction journey, I'm sure you've already seen this in action. My advice for you? Let the people who want to introduce doubt do all the hard work and mental gymnastics. Let the ones who don't believe that you are precious or want to put an asterisk on your love or who discourage your calling or keep you from a seat at the table, let them stumble and fall over their own theological contradictions. If they want to preach rejection and gatekeeping for some on one side of their mouth, then switch it up and reserve love and grace for others. They can do that all the way over there. Don't let them disturb your peace by putting all their confusion on you. Let them stumble and fall and look crazy, but don't let anyone put you to shame. This reason keeps you reminded that your rights are divinely secured and your role is vitally important. If you ever doubt that your story isn't valid because you don't yet have the prestige or a platform, I'm telling you it's not necessary. One of the most powerful and enduring civilizations of all time was the kingdom of ancient Egypt. Even today, we can see their pyramids and read their hieroglyphic writings. Their scribes have left us an extensive record of their history, carved into stone and written into papyrus, celebrating their military might and their economic power. They wrote with the intent that it would be remembered forever. And yet, how many of us don't know a thing about Egyptian history? Instead, what most of us know about that time period and what over two and a half billion people or one out of every three people on the planet consider to be their sacred origin story 
It's the story of people who didn't live in the palace or get their names carved into the sides of pyramids. Rather ironically, the greatest story we know about Egypt is the story of the Hebrew slaves who forged a new nation. We have nonetheless told and retold for millennia the story of a people who, according to the powers that be, weren't supposed to be brought up or remembered. They were supposed to keep quiet. They were supposed to keep their heads down and keep building the monuments so that important people could be remembered. When Egypt saw the Hebrews starting to prosper, Pharaoh came down harder on restrictive laws and squeezed out even more of Israel's labor. And for a minute, for a chapter there, things took a real downturn. But when we stick around for the whole story, we start to see the mighty acts of God at work. We start to see God scoop down to meet us in the valley and raise us back up with her mighty arm. Mary testifies that God looks with favor on the lowly. Surely, she continues, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things. The steady drumbeat of progress, 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 that we aren't in the same place we started in 1776, and we aren't going back. If you can't count on any other promise, count on this one. Once we weren't respected as people, but now we are God's people. Once we were robbed of mercy, but now we are rich in it. What's the difference between then and us? Not a thing. After all, the same still-speaking God is at work. And as long as God is still speaking, we better keep repeating what God is revealing. I'll give you a hint. God is revealing that you are loved by the one who will work with you to change the course of history, that your life is accepted in offering to God with what you already have, that you are worthy of more than the crumbs some folks will begrudgingly give you, that you have a purpose which only you and God can determine. God is showing up in your life because you are part of God's story. You have exclusive rights to an old told chapter of salvation history, and your role is to tell it. And you better believe that your faith is reason enough to move forward. If you have been, in, if you have been silenced, be encouraged that you have been called and chosen to speak. If you have been discounted, be reminded that you are precious in God's sight. If you are feeling abandoned, keep your head up. You are God's own possession, and she will never leave you nor forsake you. You are not just living here on the sidelines. You are not just marking time until City Hall or the governor or the Supreme Court makes a move. You are the nation. And after all, you are co-writing your story with the Most High God, the author and finisher of our faith. Claim your byline in history. It's already yours. May God add a blessing to the hearers and doers of this word. Amen.